0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Let's see how well you know your Illinois history, okay? So how many of you are familiar with the story of Elijah Lovejoy? Put your hand up. A couple. Good. Good. All right, nobody at last night's service. So let me give you a little, a little backstory here. Okay, Elijah Lovejoy was a 19th century abolitionist. In fact, he was murdered in his efforts to abolish slavery. So Elijah was born in 1802 in a little village in Maine. He was the first of nine children. He was a bright boy, grew up, went away to college, graduated top of his class at college, and then decided to move to the brand new state of Illinois. He walked here. He walked 1,200 miles to get here. Now, he thought he would settle in the river, bustling river town of Alton on the Mississippi River, but when he got to Alton, he looked across the river and he saw St. Louis, it was a little bigger town, decided to settle there. Now, this was before St. Louis had a baseball team, so fortunately, he was never a Cardinals fan. (laughs) Come on, spring training's right around the corner, all right? So he got a job as an editor of a newspaper, and he began to publish anti-slavery articles. And Missouri at the time was a pro-slavery state, and so he faced mob violence, and That induced him to move across the river with his printing press to the free state of Illinois to the town of Alton. Now, there were pro-slavery forces at work in Illinois, too, and so they dumped his printing press into the river. So he bought a second printing press, and they dumped that one into the river. So he bought a third printing press, and they didn't even wait for that one to be unpacked. They threw it, crate and all, into the Mississippi River. So he bought a fourth printing press, and this time they not only destroyed the printing press... They killed Elijah Lovejoy. They shot him dead. He was buried on his 35th birthday. Now, what what motivated Elijah to be such a champion for social justice, even in the the face of threats against his life? Well, here's the part of the story that that I didn't tell you, and it's really the key to understanding Elijah Lovejoy. Shortly after moving from St. Louis, uh, from Maine to St. Louis, Elijah became a Christ follower. Up to that point in his life, he had managed to hold Jesus at arm's length in spite of the fact that his parents were strong believers. But when Elijah arrived in St. Louis, he got word that his younger brother, A heavy drinker had died of an alcohol-related disease, and that caused Elijah to move into kind of a a spiritual search mode, and he went to a local church. There was a guest preacher who invited listeners to surrender their lives to, to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and Elijah that day, he was one of 66 people in that church that day that gave their lives to Christ. He wrote home, he said, I I was by divine grace enabled to bring all my sins and all my sorrows and lay them all at the feet of Jesus and to receive that blessed assurance that he had accepted me, all sinful as I was. That conversion conversion did something to Elijah's view of slavery, which up to that point in his life he had passively accepted. I love the way his biographer puts it. I just finished reading a a biography of Elijah. The biographer says, at that time, back then, conversion meant more than simply a statement of faith and regular church attendance. It meant changing the whole direction of your life. It included an agreement to help change the lives of others. Now, back then, conversion meant more than it does today. It meant a change in your life and it meant a calling to help change, you know, a positive direction the lives of others. Elijah's story illustrates the main thesis, the, the big idea behind today's sermon. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, our conversion should produce in us a concern for social justice. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, our conversion, that's got to come first, should produce in us a concern for social justice. So welcome to week one of a three-part Bible-savvy series. Uh, we do these series two or three times a year, and they track with wherever our Bible-savvy reading schedule, our daily Bible reading schedule, is taking us. So we've put together a four-year Read Through the Bible program. Hundreds of you are following the, the, the schedule. If you've never become a daily Bible reader, i got to tell you, it will change your life it will change your life. So pick up a copy of the schedule, start following along. You could get a hard copy of the schedule at any one of our four bookshops, uh, or you could download the CCC uh, mobile app, and it's free, and on the the app, you'll see the reading schedule. We also encourage you to pick up a Bible-savvy journal. It's just a, you know, a spiral-bound notebook where, where you can record each day what God says to you as you read his word. Uh, There's even a kids' version. So if you've got grade school kids, there's a kids' version of the Bible-savvy journal called Epic. And in the middle of the week, every Wednesday night on three of our our, our four campuses, we do an Epic program for kids, helping them, you know, read through the Bible. So we're big on getting people into into the Bible. So to encourage your Bible reading two or three times a year, we just do a series that drops into whatever passages our reading schedule is asking us to read at the time. So three weeks ago, we read through Amos, and at the beginning of March, in a couple of weeks, we're going to read through Jonah, and then at the beginning of April, we're going to read through Micah. So we lump these three books together, Amos, Jonah, Micah, for a Bible-savvy series. Now, there's another reason we put these three books together. Uh, The three of them appear together in the final section of the Old Testament, Okay, that final section of 12 books is called the Minor Prophets. These are three out of the 12 Minor Prophets. Now, the reason the Minor Prophets are called the Minor Prophets is not because their message is insignificant. It's because their books are shorter than the books of the Major Prophets. So the Major Prophets, you know, were guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The Minor Prophets, guys like Amos and Jonah and Micah and nine others. So today we start into the, the book of Amos. In fact, we're going to cover it, do a flyby of, of Amos. And the, the main theme of Amos has to do with social justice, which means, if you think some of these books with a, the musty names like they don't relate to today, you know, I don't know what newsfeed you follow, but any newsfeed you pick, social justice issues are pretty critical, pretty important in our world today. And so this is a very up-to-date, very relevant book. Let, let me give you some background, some background on Amos. Amos was written by a guy named Amos. That snow has not dulled your thinking at all. Yeah, every one of the, every one of the 12 minor prophets, the books are named for the guy who wrote them. Okay. Amos was not a professional prophet. Now, some of the prophets were professional clergy. Amos was not. The dude was a farmer. He tended fig trees. He herded sheep. But one day God called Amos and he said, I want you to go to the northern kingdom of Israel with a word of warning. Now, a little historical background here. Israel, at this point in time, had been, because of a civil war, had been divided into two countries for two centuries. The northern kingdom was still called Israel. God sending Amos, who grew up in the southern kingdom, which was now called Judah, to the north with this message. If you don't mend your ways, God says, I'm going to send an invading army. They're going to destroy you. They're going to take your people off into captivity. Now, what was Israel's big sin? I mean, what was the wicked thing they were doing that so offended a holy God, he was willing to allow an enemy power to come in and wipe them out? It was social injustice. Social injustice, which is why today we're going to consider four steps to developing a heart for social justice. Okay, four steps as we look through the book of Amos for developing a heart for social justice. Here's step number one. If you haven't taken the outline from your program, I encourage you, take it out, fill it in, write down, if nothing else, write down these four steps so that God can develop within you a heart for social justice. Number one, acknowledge sin. Acknowledge sin. Now, if your Bible is open to Amos chapter 1, I should have told you a few moments ago to start looking so you could find it between now and the end of the service, all right? Amos, toward the end of your Old Testament, Amos chapter 1, I want you to look at the heading that pops up at the top of this passage. You see the heading over verse 3, and this is a participatory service here, okay? What, What does it say? Call it out. Good. Judgment on Israel's neighbors. So at the beginning of the book, Amos begins to denounce one after another the seven countries that surrounded Israel. And each denunciation followed the same threefold pattern. He begins with the words, this is what the Lord says. That's part one. Part two is he then spells out the particular sins of of that country. And part three is he then details how God is going to punish that country for those sins. So if your Bible's open to chapter 1, verse 3 begins, this is what the Lord says, part 1. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Now he's going to talk about the specific sins of Damascus, second half of the verse. Because she thrashed Gilead with sledges, having iron teeth. What is that all about? Well, Gilead was a territory in Israel. Damascus, a neighboring Uh, power, Damascus was the capital, had brutally attacked and annihilated Gilead. Not good. So God was about to punish Damascus. Look at verse 4. God says, I will send fire on the house of Hazel, that's the king of Damascus, that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad, that's Hazel's son." Now, when Amos was finished with Damascus, he moved down to six other countries, one at a time, following the same threefold pattern. This is what the Lord says. Here are the particular sins this country is guilty of, and this is how God is going to punish that country. Now, keep in mind that Amos was preaching this sermon in Israel. So you can just imagine the Israelites getting more smug more self-righteous with each denunciation you know as, as Amos spelled out the sins of each of the surrounding enemy countries the Israelites you know they were shaking their heads they were tisk tisking they were saying those foreign dirt bags slime balls wicked people And then when he outlined how God was going to bring punishment, they were nodding in unison their their approval. Yeah, God, bring it on. Give them what they deserve. But what the Israelites didn't realize was that Amos was drawing a dot-to-dot picture. And when a line connected the dots of the various countries, it formed a circle. And guess who was at the center of the circle? Guess what country was the bullseye in the target that Amos was drawing? Who do you think? Israel. The Israelites. He had saved his last denunciation, built up to this final de- denunciation, and it was against Israel. One of my favorite far side cartoons. Uh, two deer, big antlers, they're talking in the woods to each other and one's got a, a target on his chest and his buddy says to him, he says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> Israel had a target on its chest. Okay, the, the Israelites so, were so quick to recognize the sins of other people, but they failed to acknowledge their own shortcomings. Now, isn't that the tendency of every one of us? You know, we shake our heads at others' adultery, others' alcohol abuse. We shake our head at others' poor parenting or dishonesty or uh, materialism. But we fail to recognize, to acknowledge our own sins, that there's a target on our chest. You know, we, we, we do this on a macro level as well, right? We, we condemn the wrongdoing of other countries, but We ignore the transgressions of our own society. Okay, what specifically were the Israelites guilty of? Flip over one chapter, chapter 2, picking it up at verse 6. And by the way, Amos' denunciation of Israel, supposedly God's people, it was three times longer than his denunciation of any of the foreign countries. Verse 6 of chapter 2, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and also profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. These are garments they had taken from poor people to have debts repaid. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for this difficult book. Help us to understand it. Now, there are several sins alluded to in these verses, but the the one there, there's one that's repeated in several different ways. It's one that pops up uh, multiple times throughout the book of Amos. Mistreatment of the poor. Mistreatment of the poor. Flip ahead in your Bible a couple of chapters. This, by the way, this is why you bring your, your own Bible to a church, because we do a lot of Flipping through scripture, especially when we're going to cover an entire book in one shot. So chapter 4, look at verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. And then you say to your husbands, hey, bring us some drinks. Farmer Amos calls these materialistic women who go out shopping but have no concern for the poor a bunch of fat cows takes a farmer to know a cow when he sees one, right? Wow. Flip over to chapter 5, verse 12. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Flip over a couple of chapters. Chapter 8 drop down to verse 4 Hear this hear this you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land You see this repeating idea God was about to punish Israel Israel because they didn't give a rip about the poor So what about us You know, the first step in developing a heart for social justice is to acknowledge our sins with regard to social justice, beginning with the lack of concern for the poor. Now, now concern for the poor is, you know, it's not the only aspect of social justice that God's word encourages us to champion. Let let me mention several other social justice issues. I came across this short list in a 50-page brochure put out by the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, This organization represents somewhere between 25 and 30,000 churches across the country, churches that are Christ-centered, that are Bible-directed, outreach-oriented, and socially engaged. So the, the, the booklet is called For the Health of the Nation, subtitled an evangelical call to civic responsibility. I wanted to buy several thousand copies so I could give one to everyone who comes to Christ's community today, but they were 350 a piece. So so we're going to put up yeah, you've got the uh, the website up there and you could go online if you'd like to read this 50-page booklet. It's a it's a quick read and it's really important. To stuff but the book details seven or eight social justice issues that the Bible God's word instructs Christ followers to champion now we we don't have time to cover these issues in detail today but they're all really really important to God in fact as you read scripture there there is much to say in the Bible about every one of these things so let let me go through the, the list with you quickly we've already mentioned concern for the poor Here are some others on that list in this booklet, racial reconciliation, sanctity of human life, protection of marriage. When we say, by the way, protection of marriage, you know, God's standard, his definition of marriage is spelled out in the opening chapters of the Bible. And later in the gospels, Jesus comes and endorses it. He teaches the same thing that marriage in God's sight is one man and one woman united for life. Protection of marriage, human rights, it covers a wide variety of things. Religious freedom, and creation care, environmental issues. Now, now there, there may be more social issues than the ones I've just listed, but I, I wanted to make you aware of some of the concerns that, says, that, that God says true followers of Jesus can't ignore in fact, to ignore these issues like Israel ignored the poor is morally wrong, as scripture teaches. It's sinful. Now, now let me note several other things. We're going to keep the list up here on the, on the screen for just a moment. Something else I, I, I want to note about this list. You know, it's possible possible to play favorites with the list. Okay, so some of the items on the list are, are are favorites of conservative Republicans. And others on the list, other issues up there are favorites of liberal Democrats, right? Take a look at the list. Some, some of the, the issues on this list are favorites of Fox News, and others are favorites of CNN and MSNBC. So Some of the things on this list, they're favorites of an older generation, Deeply concerned about these things. And others on the list are favorites of a younger generation. And here's the point I want to make. You can't play favorites with this list. It's God's list. Every one of these things is clearly spelled out, extensively covered in the Bible. So, you know, it's cool if you're against sex trafficking, human rights violation. But are you also against abortion? I mean, it, it, it's cool if you support racial reconciliation, but do you also support biblical marriage? You know, it, it, it's cool if you defend religious freedom, but do you also defend the environment? See, see how that works? These are all issues that are of concern to God. The other thing I want to point out about them as you look at the list is that they're not just private matters. Now, we should all own these as personal values. But if you're a follower of Jesus, God has called you to be salt and light in this culture. Salt is a preservative. Light dispels darkness. We're called to have an impact on our culture to bring these values to bear on the society in which we live. You get it? Good. Good. May God give us the humility to acknowledge our social justice sins. That's the first step, getting a heart for social justice. Step number two, return to God. Now chapter four of Amos, go back to Amos, turn to chapter four, God explains to the Israelites that he's been trying to get their attention about social justice by allowing certain hardships in their lives see it's as if god says okay if you're not going to show concern for the poor guess what i'm not going to show concern for you maybe god's discipline would wake them up maybe god's discipline would cause them to correct their social injustices but but it didn't look look at the heading over chapter 4 in your bible what does it say again call it out what does it say Israel has not returned to God. That's the theme of this chapter. It pops up again and again, as I've taught you. Whenever you see a repeating idea or word in a scripture passage, you know that's the emphasis of that passage. No return to God. Verse 6 God says, I I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Trying to get your attention. Drop down to verse 8, people staggered from town to town for water, but didn't get enough to drink, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew, locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I I killed your young men with the sword along with your, your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Yet, say it with me, you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. How could Israel fail to get God's message? I mean, why hadn't all these hardships awakened them to the reality that they needed to put a stop to their social injustices and return to God? There's, there's really a simple explanation for why Israel hadn't returned to God. They just assumed they, they were already close to God. Yeah, there's no need to return. We're, we're close to God. And why did they assume that? Well, because they engaged in certain spiritual activities. You know, you read through Amos, you discover they set up uh, worship centers in various towns and they brought sacrifices, they brought offerings to God in those locations on a regular basis. So, so they thought they were putting money in the bank with God more than enough to compensate for their sins. But, but look at chapter 4, look at verses 4 and 5. God says... And, He's being very sarcastic here. God is. He says, "Go to Bethel, that's one of their worship centers. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. I mean, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering. Brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do," declares the Sovereign Lord. Wow, smoking. Jump ahead to chapter 5, drop down to verse 21. God is really heated here. Amos 5, verse 21. I hate, he says, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps and electric guitars. I threw that in. But let justice, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Do we make the same mistake that the ancient Israelites made? Do we, do we assume that our, our spiritual activities, you know, our daily Bible reading, you know, our showing up for worship services, even on a snowy day, Our participation in community groups. Maybe we're part of two or three different Bible studies. Our frequent prayer. Do we assume that these activities keep us us close to God even when we're ignoring social justice issues? You know, God would say to us, don't don't fool yourselves. You know, (laughs) you are not as close to me as you think you are and you need to return. You need to return. You ever had the experience of you, you pull onto the interstate and you think you've pulled on to go west and you, you know, you're actually going east? Ever have one of those experiences? You, you know, you got on the wrong ramp and you're headed in the wrong direction and you don't realize it and all your driving practices are correct, you're just headed in the wrong direction. So as you're, you're driving along, you're driving the speed limit, you're using your turn signal, you're looking in your side view mirror before you change lanes, but you're heading in the wrong direction. Every mile is taking you further and further and further from where you want to go. What do you got to do? You got to get off and turn around. You got to get off and turn around. You know, if you're not paying attention to social justice and so you're headed in the wrong direction, then in spite of uh, other spiritual practices, you're getting further and further from God and you need to turn around. You need to return to God because God has a deep heart, deep commitment to social justice. Number three, third step, intercede for offenders. Intercede for offenders. Now Amos really wanted to help the Israelites get their act together. Uh, He really wanted to help them start caring about social justice before God lowered the boom on them. But the Israelites were convinced that when God lowered the boom, he'd be lowering the boom on all the nations that surrounded them, not on Israel. He wouldn't be lowering the boom on Israel for social injustice. In fact, the Israelites were looking forward to a day that that they called the Day of the Lord. This was a popular concept in Old Testament times. Uh, People looked forward to the Day of the Lord, meaning the day when God would finally show up and he'd wipe out all the bad guys. But what Israel didn't realize is that they too were the bad guys. So so Amos tried to get the the Israelites to understand this. Look look at chapter 5, drop down to verse 18. He says, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? Don't you know that day will be darkness, not light? It'll be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and ah, rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. See, the Israelites thought that, you know, they had escaped God's punishment, but they hadn't. Will will the day of the Lord not be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? How how could Amos get the Israelites to see, to see that they were in deep trouble with God, that punishment was on its way if they didn't start caring about about social justice? Amos figures, well, I'll paint a word picture for them. So he paints a picture, not just one picture, five pictures in chapters 7, 8, and 9. Look at chapter 7. your Bible's open, there's a heading over this. The first three pictures he paints are locusts, fire, and a plumb line. Okay, what's God's punishment going to be like? Amos says, let me paint it for you. Okay, it's going to be like a locust plague. It's going to be like a rampaging, out-of-control fire. It's going to be like God comes along and holds up a plumb line against the foundation of the building and says, this building it has got to, it's got to be destroyed. Its foundation is crumbling. You move on to chapter 8. There's a new heading there. It's picture number four, a basket of ripe fruit. He says, hey, you guys are about ready to get picked, and that's not good. God's going to pluck you off the branch. The last picture in chapter 9 is a picture of a magnificent building, but an earthquake comes and shakes its foundation and the whole thing topples over. Now, surely the Israelites will get the message. I mean, Amos has exhausted all of his creativity painting these word pictures, trying to warn these people to mend their ways before it's too late, to start caring about social justice before God loses his patience with them. But even as Amos was pleading with these people on God's behalf, he was also pleading with God on their behalf. Let me say that again. Even as he was pleading with these people on God's behalf, he was pleading with God on their behalf. Chapter 7. Let me read several uh, of the opening verses to this chapter. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts Okay, here's the first vision. Here's what's going to happen. Swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up, and when they had stripped the land clean, he's seeing this vision. He says, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? Jacob is another name for Israel. How can Israel survive? He's so small. And so the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. Verse 4, the Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. Second vision, it dried up the great deep. It dried up the water and devoured the land. And then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. And so the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. You see what's going on here? He's being given, given these visions of how God's going to punish Israel. And every time a new vision pops on the screen of his imagination, he drops to his knees and he starts to pray for Israel. Oh God, please forgive them. You know, what, what a role model for us when we see social injustices being perpetrated around us. When you turn on the news. I mean, d- doesn't the news make you crazy angry these days, doesn't it? I mean, don't you get, when you see a story about, about sex trafficking and you see these young girls who've been abducted and abused, I, doesn't it make your blood boil? You know, locally, when you, you, you see a, a news story about the horrible education that kids are getting in the city, minority kids, doesn't it cause you to yell at your TV, say, this isn't Fair. You know when you look at the news, and a week ago in New York they passed this new uh, pro-abortion law that allows a baby to be to, uh, to be aborted up to the point of birth, and the place breaks out in cheers after they pass the bill, and they light up the Empire State Building in pink. What is going on here? What what is a Christ follower supposed to do? Well, for starters. Pray. Intercede for the offenders. Take a page from Amos' playbook. Ask God to change their hearts. Ask God to restrain them. Ask God to limit the damage that they're doing. You know, I know this is how I intercede for the, the personnel at the Planned Parenthood down in Aurora you know, the personnel that takes the lives of 400 unborn babies every month down there, when I go down there to pray, especially when we we have a vigil down there, I pray, God, forgive these people. God, change their hearts. God, stop them from what they're doing. You know, what if we interceded for all kinds of social justice offenders? What if we just started praying when we're watching the news? How about that? What if we watch the news prayerfully? What if we interceded for people who pollute the environment? What if we prayed for people who break up the families of illegal immigrants? Talk about social injustice, breaking up families. Doesn't that bother those of us who are pro-family? What, what if we prayed for those who turn peaceful protests into violent clashes? What if we prayed for those who sexually abuse their employees in the workplace? What if we prayed for those who pass laws that violate Christian values? You probably notice that I'm choosing issues on both the right and the left. I just want to be an equal opportunity offender today. Yes. See, what, when we pray, when we intercede for offenders, we're we're motivated by looking at our Savior, who right now is interceding for us. Isn't that wonderful news? Hebrews 7 verse 25 says that we have a a savior, a high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for his people. So right now, I know that Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father is saying, Father, forgive Jim for being such a schmuck because I died for him. I gave my life for him. He's forgiven because he's put his hope and his trust in me. See, if, if we prayed for people that would... It would not only cause our blood pressure, if keep it from going through the roof, it also might change some of their hearts. Some of them, them might come to Christ. And, and it might change our tone as we, we speak to them and, and, and about them with greater civility and greater calm and greater respect, and we stop demonizing those who are on the other side of the fence with regard to these social justice issues. I mean, this is what the Bible commands us to do. Proverbs 15, verse 1, one of many verses. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's intercede more and vent less. There's So much anger out there. Let's intercede more and vent less. Number four, how do we get this heart for social justice? Number four, hear God's word. And here means you you not only listen, you heed it, You you do what it says. So when Amos opens his book in the first two chapters, he repeats a certain phrase eight times. Again, look for repeating words or ideas, right? The repeating phrase is this this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. And then in later chapters, Amos uses another repeating phrase, hear this word, hear this word, hear this. In other words, God is speaking. He's speaking about social justice issues. Today at Christ Community Church, the question is, are we listening? Are we obeying? Are we going to put into practice what God says to do along these lines? Now, near the end of his book, Amos warns us that if we don't listen to what God says about social justice, there there may come a day when we're no longer able to hear from God at all. Very familiar verses, if you've ever read Amos before, Amos 8, verses 11 and 12, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. You know, if we don't allow the Lord to speak to us about social justice... Amos says he may stop speaking to us altogether. You don't want that to happen to you, do you? I mean, we. We need God's words. We need God's words of wisdom. We need God's words of comfort. We need God's words of direction. If you're making big decisions these days, we need God's words of protection. We need need God's words of inspiration. So let's not turn a deaf ear to him in this matter of social justice, or our deaf ear may keep us from hearing God's voice entirely, especially when we desperately need it. So, God has spoken to us today, hasn't He? Through the prophet Amos about concern for the poor. Have we heard God's word? What are we going to do with it? You know, where do you start? Well, maybe it starts with your, your your pocketbook. Maybe it starts by getting out your your checkbook and writing a large check, a donation to one of our community impact partners, over and above your regular ties and and offerings. You know somebody like Fox Valley Christian Action that every summer hosts a summer camp for inner city kids from Aurora to Elgin, the poorest kids in our community. or or, or maybe it it means you go up and down your block and you collect, canned goods for the local food pantry we call it canning hunger around our church and we say it's also a great way to get to know your neighbors maybe it means rounding up your community group and saying hey guys let's let's serve two-hour shift at feed my starving children my community group did that a couple of weeks ago had a ball doing it you know maybe it means reading a book on poverty, a book on the poor, Christian perspective book that will stretch you just a little bit, maybe make you uncomfortable. I just finished one of those kind of books, written by a brilliant young lawyer, not a Christian, actually not a Christian book, brilliant young lawyer who defends the innocent on death row, most of whom are minorities, and they're on death row because they couldn't afford decent defense the first time around. It's a travesty, and I thought, whoa, this is challenging my whole view of how you know how we work out the death penalty issue in our culture. You know, maybe it means going online to simply serve and finding out what community impact ministries we've got going and volunteering for one. This last week, thirty of the senior adults at Christ Community Church went to Wayside Cross Ministry, the homeless shelter, and fed lunch to the people there, and then just hung out with them. Way to go. When was the last time you did something like that? Okay, have we heard the word of the Lord today? The proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be in whether or not we we actually do something with it. Let's pray. God, as we bow before you, it's uncomfortable to be addressed by a guy like the prophet Amos, but we know it's because you love our world and you want us to be part of reaching it. And so we ask you to help us apply these words to our lives. If it causes us to recognize that that we've never really surrendered our lives to Jesus, help us to do that right now. Say, we want to follow you, Christ. We want the forgiveness that you offer. We want to know that you're interceding for us at the right hand of God. And then, God, make us world changers. Make us difference makers. Give us a concern for social justice. Help us to spread good news of the kingdom of Christ, not only with our verbal testimony, but with the way that we live and we care about these concerns that are near and dear to your heart. We pray in Jesus' name.